um, curl this uh, ball in from the right side of the box and into the goal. The goalkeeper, in future years, he was prosecuted for taking bribes. Well, I think he took a bloody bribe. I think he took a bribe that night oh, when gosh. I should, because I could have saved that shot that I did, like, you know. But anyway. They all count. The official Manchester City podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of the official Manchester City podcast, hosted by me, Rob Pollard, and former City defender, Nada Manua. Today, we are joined by two guests. One is Paul Power, a man who played a remarkable 445 times for City between 1975 and 1986, which puts him ninth on City's list of all-time appearance makers. And the other is Paul's son, Nick. For those who don't know, Nick is an integral member of our academy setup, fulfilling the role of head of phase operations, Nadam, this is an exciting one for both of us, but for you in particular, I would have thought. Yeah, 100%. I think every podcast has been exciting, but for me personally, seeing one of my old academy coaches be here and be able to tell his story, I think it is amazing because I have so many good memories of playing football with him and the player that I was wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for people like him having influence that they did when I was such a young player. So it's going to be another cracker. And I think it's a really lovely story, actually, that Paul Power, somebody who, you know, gave so much time invested so much of his time into our academy setup he's kind of passed that baton on and now his son nick is is so heaven uh, heavily involved and i think the academy's changed a lot during nick's time here so i'll be interested to get his take on that as well oh for sure and you can you can just imagine how different things are even though the roles that the two of them have had at the football club aren't drastically different i think some of that show will probably show like say what football was like back then what football is like now but it's interesting as well because one it does represent the past but you know, with Nick, this is the future. This is the future of the football club, the next big star for Man City for just world football. You know, he's helping those people come to the forefront. So, again, it's going to be a fantastic conversation with so many different sort of dimensions to it. Should we get on with it then? Absolutely. Okay, here it is, the official Manchester City podcast in conversation with Nick and Paul Power. Paul, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about your childhood. I believe you were born and raised in Openshaw. What, what was childhood like for you? I was actually born in Openshaw on uh, Barmouth Street at my, at my grandma's house, but my parents moved to Withenshaw while I was a baby. Well, you know, I was sort of a month old and they moved to Withenshaw in a, in a council house there. So I was brought up in Withenshaw, which you know is totally the opposite to Openshaw. Openshaw's a big blue area, even... Even though the Etihad Stadium wasn't there then, they 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 both used to go to St Bridget's School, which is now a car parking facility for on a match day, you know. So so the city connection has uh, has always been there, or, or in this area, it's a big blue area. Went to Withenshaw, of course, it was totally the opposite. South Manchester is a big red area, and uh, and I think that you know we used to play in the playground, City fans against United fans, and. Uh, it were about five of us against twenty of them, and if you know, if you if you didn't get the ball and keep it for a while, you didn't see it for another two hours, yeah. like you know. So that was partly my upbringing. But but both my parents were big blues, like you know, my dad uh, he'd go to Wembley to watch the game. Never took me with him, you know. I mean, we, we weren't the wealthiest, to be fair. But it, the the very first game he took me to was uh, it was a City United derby match, a night match, and a police horse trod on my foot. So. Uh, so, you know, I, I would have been about 10 then, but I actually joined City when I was about 13, uh, a fellow called Harry Godwin saw me play football and uh, 
sort of invited me to come down and train at Cheadle with the uh, with the academy as it was then, or Centre of Excellence. So what was that the, the United game that you went to, the first game, was that a main road, presumably, or yeah, not it was. Trafford? Yeah, it was. What was your thoughts as a 10-year-old going into main road? Because it was an amazing place, wasn't it? And when you're young, and you, it's like an overload of the senses, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And especially, you know, on a, a derby match night, there are, you know, there are so many people about. And uh, my dad was, was uh, we were queuing to go up in the scoreboard end and uh, my dad was like keeping close rein on me like, you know, and then this police horse backed in because the crowd were pushing towards the turnstile. So this police horse backed into the, uh, into the line of supporters and I trod on my foot. My dad went mad with him. He could have ended up in prison that night and it'd been my first game uh, missed like, you know, but anyway, things went okay. And uh, yeah, it was, it was daunting uh, to say the least but then you know I used to I used to go and stand in the Kipax my parents took a pub in open show called the Gransmoor and they uh, I used to go with uh, one of the customers you know he had a, he, he had a motorbike and I used to go pillion and we used to go to the uh, the game together in the Kipax street and that was uh, fantastic you know some great European nights then so uh, yeah didn't do much homework that night, I'm sure. So you said before it was you were 13 when when City first. You know, you you kind of signed for City, if you like. How did that come about? Where did you get spotted? And was there a time before that where you thought to yourself, "I'm pretty good at this. I could I could have a career in the game." I always knew I wasn't bad. I was a little left winger. My favourite player uh, at City at the time was Neil Young. Everybody loved Colin Bell, and uh, it was the Bell Lee Summerby era, but. To me, it was the Bell Lee Summerby Young era, like, you know, and he, he he scored a great goal in the FA Cup final in 1969 against Leicester. So so I was always hoping that I might meet uh, some of these players one of, the, one of the days, like, you know, but, uh, yeah, I always knew I was not bad, but I wasn't, I wasn't special, you know. Um, I was quite small uh, for my age until I reached the age of about 17, so yeah, it was uh, it, it was difficult for me to get in when I, I when I eventually did get into Manchester Boys. It was a, a, in the under 18s team, so I was uh, studying A levels then, and um, we we travelled to um, Hampden Park to play against Scotland Boys, and then I was playing against Airdrie Boys in um, Manchester, and Harry Godwin uh, was there remembered me from, you know, being 15 and, and uh, being a little bit scrawny. I'd, uh, I'd shot by then, got a little bit more physical presence and uh, invited me back down again. So, uh, but Big Mel uh, took me out on the pitch and just had me running up and down with a ball, you know. Uh, he noticed that I was all left foot, obviously. I never, he said, do you ever use your right, you know? And never have, <laughs> never have all my career, so... Uh, so, yeah, and that was uh, quite an experience for me as a 13-year-old. Fantastic. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm guessing that the horse trod on your right foot because your left foot was still in working order. <laughs> but then as well as that, say when you were younger, you say you weren't special, but which players were special at that time in your eyes or was it a case of you were just looking at yourself in a way which was almost like self-deprecating? Yeah, I suppose that. The latter, I, I, was, I used to cycle to school. So I used to cycle from Woodhouse Park to... Uh, to Sharston to to school, then at the end of school I would do my homework and uh, and then I'd cycle from Sharston to Cheadle 
uh, to train. So you can imagine at the end of the night, I'd be, and then I cycled from Cheadle all the way back to Withenshaw. So I'd, I was absolutely shattered at the end of the night. And then my dad had a pub. So I used to come home on Friday afternoon from university, like, or oh, Polytechnic, I, I, I uh, apologize. And then I used to uh, work on the, the bar at my dad's pub on a Friday night, play on a Saturday, go home, work on the bar on a Saturday night, Sunday lunchtime. Monday morning I would train, and we always used to train at Withenshire Park. You know, it was a physical morning, which was great for me because I was a bit of a lazy student, to be fair. But I never signed a, a, a form for City uh, apart from a sort of an amateur form. And there was a director uh, in charge of youth at Manchester City called Chris Muir, who felt that the club had made a mistake with Steve Highway when he was in the same predicament as me. He was he was studying at university, played for City. They, they, uh, they didn't give him any money sort of thing, so he went off and played... Uh, non-league football for, uh, you know, to, to sort of help towards his expenses for the week. So City lost out on him because while he was playing for, I don't know, I can't remember which team it was now, um, but while he was playing for them, Liverpool spotted him and uh, they invited him and he signed for Liverpool instead of instead of, uh, City, like, you know. So I think they didn't want to make the same mistake again. So as soon as I qualified, and I promised my mum that I would always... Um, Sorry, sorry, uh, uh, shouldn't have mentioned that. But um, I promised her that uh, I would always um, finish my educa education. She worked at Windsor Hospital and wanted me to be a doctor. But I was crap at sciences, so that was never going to happen. Um, but I wasn't bad at languages and arts, and, you know, so I, I decided to study law. Got my law degree and then... Um, Tony Book was manager at City at the time and uh, he invited me down to sign forms like, you know, so once I'd become established in the first team, um, you know, that was always going to be a career for me. When you say established, you're ninth on the list of all time leading appearance makers for Manchester City, which is an incredible achievement in itself. I mean, Nick, for you growing up as a City fan, how proud must you have been? to have a father who had achieved what he'd achieved. I mean, we're going to come to the Centenary FA Cup final and all that kind of stuff later, but that must have been pretty cool for you when you were growing up. Yeah, I guess it was. You get us all bubbling here, we'll all be going. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I ever was really that aware of it, if I'm being really honest, because you're really humble, aren't you? Growing up was just normal to us. I was unaware. I know football was different back then, but I was unaware of what you were doing, what you had achieved until... Remember the the lads from Edgerton were around at a party. Must have been like eleven, twelve, and they compared you to Dennis Irwin at the time. Just trying to say, like, you know, you were an established sort of Premier League footballer, and it was that moment where I just thought, oh yeah, he, that's my daddy. That's what he did. And I know different football was different back then, but yeah, I didn't I didn't really grow up thinking, you know, stardom, super. St yeah, super I didn't just really get you involved, uh, sort of on match days and stuff, did I? Apart from watching the games, but. You were a little bit older when I signed for Everton and, uh, you know, having a little bit more success at Everton regarding winning the league and you were uh, involved in all those games towards the end of the season. You well, know I'll you? never forget at Goodison walking across the pitch back to the car park and running, trying to jump and touch the crossbar and I, I couldn't get near it, but I was mascot at your testimonial as well. That's I, right. I'm, I'm vague 
vague recollections of that. But yeah, there was nothing. nothing I, I mean, going to the match, going to Main Road with you on a on a Saturday was one of my fondest memories because we used to park at the Kipax, walk behind the North Stand to get round to the main entrance. Before that, if you remember, I had to jump out and get the tickets from the guys, a guy called Peter in a little window. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know how I remember this stuff. And he knew who I was and he just had the tickets there waiting. And then we parked and, I, and it took us ages to get round because he stopped signing autographs all the time. And I was like, I just wanted to get in. What is he getting? And I was lucky because I used to ball boy at the time because I was playing here. That was what those age groups did at the time. And, and you were working on the radio and I just wanted to get in and, and he was just signing autographs. I'm like, come on. Yeah, yeah. I think for me as a, a young City fan, when I was growing up, the goal against Ipswich was the one that, you know, first introduced me to Paul Power and and the, and, and the whole sort of mystique around you and your career. Yeah, that's good. That, that was about my 300th game, that. So, so, <laughs> so I had I to wait too, quite I, a long time. I, I missed your era, but I mean, w- watching their videos and things like that, it was that goal that I remember thinking, wow, that was a hell of a strike. I mean, that is an iconic City goal, isn't it? Yeah, um, I, it, unbelievable the FA Cup that year because I, I scored in every round except against Peterborough. I scored against Norwich when we beat them about six uh, at Main Road. And then I scored against Everton uh, when they were beating us 2-1 and, uh, and I uh, scored the equaliser to get us a replay at, at, at Main Road. I scored in the replay uh, and then we that, that took us to the semi-final against um, Ipswich and it Eric Gates was, uh, we, we we got to the end of the game, it was nil-nil, um, and uh, Eric Gates came up, he had his boots under his arm, like, you know, and I said, I think you'll find there's extra time, like, he went, no, it's a replay, isn't it? I said, no, it's extra time, he said, oh, you can have it then. So I thought, well, I hope all your mates think the same, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then we, uh, then we got free kick, sort of outside the sort of right-hand side of the box, and the way we'd sort of, practiced if you like Steve McKenzie would knock it to me and then when the player came off the end of the wall to close the ball down I'd knock it again for Tommy Caton to come and strike it because he had a fantastic left foot like you know anyway uh, nobody came off the wall so Steve McKenzie knocked the ball nobody came to close the ball down so I thought I, I used to play with Brian Kidd and Kiddo used to always say if you don't buy a raffle ticket, you don't win a prize. That was his saying. Like, so if you don't have a shot, you don't score a goal. You know. So I thought I'm going for the raffle ticket here. Like, and uh, and I bent the, the ball. And Paul Cooper was a smallish goalkeeper, but very agile. But he he went up in the top corner. He couldn't reach it. So, and the, all the City fans were behind that halt end. And I I just remember them just all going up as the as the ball was going into the net. You know, it was a fantastic feeling. And it, all the way home down the motorway, cars were going past the um, the team coach, bibbing the horns, waving the flags out. You know, we weren't expected to beat um, Ipswich at all. In fact, my wife's brother J- uh, Billy was a big, big red. Followed them all over Europe, like you know. And uh, he said, "If you beat Ipswich on Saturday, I'll go to Wembley and I'll wear." all blue like you know and I, I said okay so but that's how much people least expected us to win the game uh, and of course then we did we got to Wembley and I knew where the family tickets were so I looked up and uh, and there was Billy with a, a big blue and white flag waving it he had a blue jumper on with a city crest on it 
uh, blue shirt, blue trousers, like, and then he he put he put his right foot up on, and he had red socks on, like, you know. <laughs> he, said, he said, "I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it." But now we had, you know, they they were a big red family, and uh, but we had loads of banter, you know. Uh, it was good fun then, you know. But it wasn't always wasn't always good for me at City. I, you know, the year we got relegated, I got unmerciful stick off the supporters. You know, I mean, uh, they were expecting better from the captain of the team. You know, they always do. And if if the team falls below the, their expected standards, tends to be the captain that might get the uh, the the feedback. So, you know, I had I had some some real tough times at. Uh, in fact. We we played United at Old Trafford, and um, I'd not been married long, so Julie was uh, was sitting. And I, do you remember Big Helen with the bell? Helen the uh, bell, yes, yeah. Who was yeah. who was a, a Joe Corrigan fan? You know, unbelievably. And she, it, the game was at Old Trafford, and uh, Big Helen was sitting two rows in front of Julie and her dad. They were they were watching the game together. I'd I'd got them tickets, so it was in the city end. And uh, I I made a mistake and, you know, a bit unusual, but I did. And uh, Big Helen shouted, Power, you've been effing useless since you got married. (laughs) And and Julie, Julie's sitting right behind him, like, you know. So she stood up, Iris's, supporting me, saying, why don't you shut up? And like, so it was nearly all going off in the stand. Bit of blue on blue action. Yeah, yeah. But that was, that was, you know, me getting, getting some... Stick off the fans. It wasn't all roses, yeah. uh, I must say. I've got to say then, so do you think it's harder or easier to represent the team that you support? Uh, easier. Why? Easier. Because I never, I never ever wanted to leave the club and play for anybody else, mm. you know. I don't, yeah, let me ask you this question then. Go on. How did you feel on the day of the Aguero goal? <laughs> How did you feel? As brought well, up in Manchester as a City player. In coming back, like my career was ahead of me. And I needed to stay up that day. That was the first priority. Yeah, yeah. I think the fact that City won the league was great because I got to see some of my friends who'd been going at it for so long. You know, people who'd signed when the team was struggling and now here they were about to lift the Premier League trophy. And I know that journey that they were on because I was there with them. Yeah. So that was fantastic. But in the moment itself, because it's football, when you're on the field, you just try and win, try to win for your team. And I didn't want to ever play against City. It was never a goal. There were times when I was playing well for City and it was interest. I'm like, it was irrelevant because I didn't. there was only one place I wanted to be. Yeah, so yeah, it was a yeah. bit different. But then what I'd say is when I first started, if we lost on a Saturday, like I wouldn't even leave my house for the week because I was so caught up thinking like, I can't do it. Like we, we were so embarrassing, you know, and this is my team. I'm getting so frustrated. But I think the difference comes further down the road when you realize like it's a career, it's a long period of time and everyone's doing the best that they can. Of course. You know what I mean? So that's right. You see, you were always a little bit you you were physical yeah. and quick as lightning, yeah. but a little bit delicate At times, mentally. If yeah. you if you if you don't mind me saying, I yeah, mean, especially I don't when mean, I was younger. I don't mean you you were you were mentally weak, yeah. But you just I was a bit I was emotional. You like, needed encouragement, yeah. Uh, you know, and then you were needed to get the best out of yeah, you as exactly. a player. You went to Bermuda, didn't you? I did, yeah. And well, Sean Gold just destroyed me, yeah. I remember that. Well, clear hang as day. on a minute. Hang on a minute. Cool. See, that is you being as I have just explained. Sean Gota came to me at the end of the game and said, I couldn't get a bloody kick against him. He's quicker than me, you know? No, trust me, it's tough. See, you talked about the self-deprecating thing. Yeah, We've discussed that with other guests. Yeah, but the thing is, I change as I got older because you start to be really aware of how football works and you know your place within it. 
and you start to realize because like i think sometimes i mention when i was first coming through i used to be looking at like player ratings and stuff like that and it's like it's the most ridiculous thing going but then as you get older the most important person to give you feedback is your manager who selects you every week it's your yeah, teammates yeah. who play for you every week so if you could go back you'd block out the noise more as a youngster i'd encourage youngsters to block out the noise yeah. more but in the moment that's all you know yeah, well, yeah. one thing, thing we see at the academy all the time is we've got such talented kids right the way through and when it gets to like that 15 16 age group the men the mental element the mentality yeah, yeah. Mm. is what's going to get them into that next phase through their scholarship and into the hopefully the first team changing yeah, room there aren't sure. many physical aspects of being a footballer so you've got to be quick yeah you've got to be agile yeah you've got to have a good spring mm. i've got none of those this <laughs> is true they can confirm that, that. which is where you're sitting that's why that i'm saying exactly yeah, 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 yeah. exactly you're very good at that thank you very much that's all right but <laughs> You know, uh, mental responsibilities of a player. There are there are like hundreds. You know, if you if you get knocked down, how's your bounce back ability? If you like, you know, can you or do you do you stay down there or can you get yourself back up again? There are there there are lots of uh, you know awareness. Do you see problems before they happen or do, you know? I mean, that yeah, that's the same as a coach. Like sometimes we'll say someone's a good player, but what we're trying to say is that they're talented. But the good players are the ones who tend to stick around for a long time with talent that they have and continue to be are reliable for their team. You know what I mean? So sometimes like it can just be easy for someone to be called a good player. But like I played with Adelta Rats, technically amazing, as good as anyone I've ever played with. Watched him play. But at the time, he didn't because when I left City in 2012, so I saw the team that was going to go on and win a league, and I saw the talent and the professionalism that existed, and then I saw Adele who had the talent but didn't have the professionalism. Yeah. Mm. So do I say he's a good player or do I say he's talented? Because mm. people are trying to say, oh, he's a really good player, he's a good player. There's more he to wasn't. being a good player than just technical ability. Exactly. And also, and also a, a great influence on a young player, whether he's successful, whether he's grounded or gets a little bit above himself, is uh, parents, you know, and how the parents... Now, your mum was unbelievable. Yeah, she was good, yeah. I'm bubbling again here because his mum was a fantastic woman like you know and uh, when, whenever we had dealings about him with her all she would consider both sides of the argument you know it wasn't it wasn't uh, no my son's the best thing since sliced bread i want this for him this it was always well what do you think he should you know what do you think he should do and and she sought out uh, sort of advice for her son yeah Whereas there are other parents that come who think their son is the bee's knees, and they think uh, they know and they best. fill his head full of popcorn, yeah, and uh, you know, and he doesn't become that because he's not had the discipline at home. When Phil Foden was uh, was how, how old were we? Been going into he was eight, nine, wouldn't he? Yeah, he was eight yeah. nine, and uh, everybody wanted to sign Phil Foden because he was the best. He was he was like the Maradona of Northwest football. Like when I played. In 1976, in the semi in in the semi final of the League Cup against Middlesbrough, we uh, we had ten players from Manchester. So there was Joe Corrigan, Alan Oakes, Glyn Pardo, uh, Gary Owen, Peter Barnes, myself, Kenny Clements. There were ten Manchester players. I think that, I think if I'm right that there was only Asa Halford or Dennis Stewart that that weren't from Manchester. You know, so that was you know the local. Um, uh, the local recruitment uh, was was well. I wouldn't say much better, but there wasn't as much choice further further away. Now you know you you're looking you're looking abroad for like Vladimir Vice and people, and uh, 
you know, that, that come from abroad now. But then there were 10 players that played for Manchester City in, a, in a, the semi-final of the, of the League Cup. You know, I don't think that'll ever happen again, ever. Nick, do you think it's getting to the point City's academy is so good that if you get to sort of scholar level and you sign that professional contract, you're pretty much guaranteed maybe to have a career somewhere across the pyramid or in Scotland or, or across Europe somewhere. Yeah. Because the way we coach our players is, is to such a high level that they can go and play pretty much anywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't want to guarantee it because there's a lot that could happen with yeah. injury and a bit of luck along the way, no course, matter what yeah. happens. But Tommy Doyle. But if you Tommy get a scholarship, you're in with a very, very good chance of having it, yeah, having yeah. a good career. But some of our players, because of the way they're coached and taught now, you can see them playing in La Liga or abroad and having real, real strong careers because they're technically so good. Yeah. So I asked you about being proud uh, of Paul. I'm going to ask you the same question because obviously you've worked heavily in City's Academy and now your son has kind of taken that bat on and is a big yeah, part yeah. Of, of what we do here. Yeah, yeah. How proud are you of kind of what he's well, done to, to make me cry? Sorry. <laughs> Listen, you don't have to say you're proud. Pulling the heart right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, Nicky was, was involved with uh, recruitment. Your first job at the club was with Barry Poynton's uh, Scouting and going coaching, coaching in the schools yeah. and... You know what I mean? So his development through to the position that he's uh, achieved now is fabulous. And I've ju just be before I got off the tram here, uh, I had a, a message from uh, Ian Meller, who used to play for City as well, Spider. I, wor I worked with Spider at the PFA. And he came to a, a presentation evening last night and he said, your son um, was ultra professional, fantastic, led the proceedings really well. And that pleases me as much as anything, I'd have loved to see him play for Manchester City. Spider, Neil Mellard played, had a great career and you two played together, didn't you? So, you know, that, that would have been great to see him play for Manchester City as well. But to be to see his involvement in the development of young players is is, uh, is fantastic. Well, I can say Nick is one of the most respected people at City. Again, <laughs> don't want to make you cry, but uh, I can pretty much vouch for that. Yeah, good. No, good. It, it didn't work out for me footballing-wise for whatever reason. The club was in a different time. I don't think I had it mentally to, I was always not a bad little footballer, quick little right winger, but I didn't have enough. Maybe I didn't have enough desire, I didn't want it, but I've still been able to work at the club that I love. And that's what, that's what drives me day to day. That's why I like presenting these awards because it's for the kids, it's for the families. Everyone's going to leave City at some point. It might be next year, it might be in 20 years like Phil, but they're going to leave at some point. So they have to have an amazing City experience is what we call it while they're with us and that's what I wanted to bring to stuff like that when we spoke Nadem recently at the leadership conference like that's the that's the stuff cause I've been here 17 years now I like feel like I know it like the back of my hand so I don't find it difficult part of the furniture Nick I mean my role as a parent then when when Nicky played I used to go and watch every uh, every game he played on a Sunday I don't know about that well not away we'll say we'll not pretend he yeah. 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 Pretend, yeah. and he was away on tour with Rod Owen was uh, we went to northern France didn't we to Rod Leon. Owen was your coach while he was away I've got a letter from uh, Terry Farrell who was uh, like chief recruitment officer then and uh, and it said uh, we're sorry to say that we don't think your son is gonna which I thought was and I, and I would never ever do that and write a letter to parents saying that we've released your son I would do it face to face and explain exactly and if they have any Comeback questions, you can... They've got you, an opportunity yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I've had this letter 
uh, uh, releasing him from the club as a 14, were you 14, 15? And uh, of course he comes back uh, from this tour tournament where they'd done well, full of himself, like, oh, Rod always said I, I played great and, I'm, and I know I've got to break the news to him with this, uh, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's a really difficult job. Yeah, yeah and I was gutted because everyone holds, I mean, you guys did it. You might associate a bit better with this, Rob, your, your whole dreams of playing for City, especially with our family connections. And I thought, you know, I was there, but here's what it is. And now I'm still here, 40 years old, working at the club and love every day. You don't look 40. I was, just, I was literally just going to say the same thing. You don't look 40 at all. <laughs> How much has the academy changed during your time? Because it's I was going to say something, else, but I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. I know it. Let's please carry on. Yeah. Let's cut, let's cut that bit out. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> because the academy is getting, like, from certainly from my perspective, even the last three years, you know, I'll look at what's happened in the last three years. We've just won Premier League two for the third three year on the bounce. And we've won the under-18s national title three years on the bounce. I mean, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, so 17 years ago, it was Jim Cassell was the academy director. He sits just in front of me at the games, did actually. Win, yeah. Did you win the Youth Cup? No, we certainly touch you on that, Paul. Uh, <laughs> so my age group was supposed to because we were one of the best age groups. Yeah, but we yeah. played United at Old Trafford. I think we lost 2-0. And Casper, like he barely made any mistakes, but on that day, made two mistakes and we lost the 2-0. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, it's a touchy one, that. I'm still not over but, it. Oh, I mean, tell me, who, who went on from your team yeah. to have a career in football? Well, Casper's not doing too bad, is he? Casper's <laughs> had a so, great yeah. career. Yeah, he cracked out, he kicked on from there. That's a good example, maybe, for the, the kids, because sometimes the bad results for academy coach, you know in your mind, this is actually going to be better for them than the, the 10 games on the bounce that they've just won. Well, we, we had it with the Youth Cup this year. The, the, the lads, We had the lads sent off after five minutes. We had to play the whole game. Played How brilliantly. Took them at the Emirates Stadium in front of thousands of people. Took them to extra time. Absolute killer. Last minute of extra time that we lost. And in that moment, you can't say to the lads, actually, this could be quite good for you. But in time, that they, they might see that and that'll help with them anyway. We then went on and won the national final the other day and I think they took so much from that defeat into that when it went to extra time that they couldn't let that happen again. And they beat the team who won the FA Youth Cup. Yeah, yeah. Beating the team, not Style? them out 5-1. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So great result. But they were the two best two best academies, North and South, this season. So that was that should have been the Youth Cup final really. But, but yeah, go, going back, Jim Cassell was the academy director at the time. I think when he employed the five of us, uh, me, Cush, Johnny, uh, Lewis and Billy, I think it took the full-time staff from 20 to, to 25, which is incredible given the, the staffing that we have at the academy now must be 90 to 100. We used to have a Christmas party for the academy, the whole academy staff in one room at a restaurant, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And now there's over 100 uh, well, we academy do the big, staff. We do the full club party now yeah, and it's, yeah. it's immense and yeah. if you get yeah, into the city football nice group sometime. no chance no you, <laughs> your day's done I've got to go back to uh, from your playing uh, days to the centenary FA Cup final so to be a Manchester City fan as a, as a kid and to lead a team out in you know the centenary final that is an amazing story I mean could you ever have imagined that or is that just the kind of thing that you just end up doing and pinching yourself thinking how the hell did I get here yeah yeah I've got loads of photographs around the, uh, the the sort of corridors at home of that particular semi-final final 
meeting the Queen Mother. I've never, I'd never, I never since met uh, another member of the royal family. You know, but apologies, I, I, I did. Did you play in that uh, tournament in Doha uh, when we were introduced to uh, Prince Edward? No, I wasn't there. Oh, were you not there? No, okay. No, no. So yeah, I met Prince Edward so, as yes, well. Right? It wasn't yeah, just one; yeah, it was another yeah. one. There was another, There's another, one. another member of royalty. Yeah, sorry yeah. guys. Yeah, obviously, Tottenham ended up winning the replay. Huge disappointment, but still must be a proud, proud achievement. That see that that was another occasion when we knew that Glenn Hoddle was a was always a threat of set pieces around the edge of the box. So we rehearsed uh, that particular situation, and. Um, Joe Joe would cover one side of the goal. Joe Corrigan, that is, would cover one side of the goal. We'd have four players in the wall, and then Tommy Hutchison was on the end of the wall. And Tommy said, even in training during the week, he said, as soon as he strikes it, if I, if I, uh, because he he'd curl it into the near post, you know, so away from Joe, he said, if he hits the post and I break off the wall, and I'll be first to the rebound, so. You know, but Joe said, no, don't do that, Tommy. He said, keep the wall still and safe. He said, if he bends it into that top corner, we've got five men in the wall, then good luck to him. Like, he deserves he deserves to score. So, of course, the day comes and um, Glenn Huddle bent it. Tommy came off the end of the wall to go and do what he thought was the best thing. It hit him on the side of the head. And Joe's gone this way, and the ball's gone in the other, in the other. So it was an own goal, like you know. But I mean, if you if you watch the reaction of Joe, and because Tommy was a an experienced pro, Joe was never gonna say, "What do you think you're doing?" You know, it was always we knew it was a mistake. Tommy knew it was a mistake, but it ended up costing us because that was the equaliser. We, we'd have probably won the game one nil. Uh, and that was the difference. You were that close to lifting the FA Cup, weren't you? I tell you, I, I used to see photographs of Tony Buck around uh, uh, around the reception area at, Man- at Main Road, lifted on the shoulders of Alan Oakes and uh, Mike Doyle yeah. with the trophy, you know, and I thought, I would have loved that to happen to me, you know what I mean? But unfortunately, it didn't, so... One of your greatest moments in a City shirt came uh, in the San Siro. What do you recall about that goal? Talk us through it, because that that must have been an amazing moment. Yeah, it was uh, the the lead up to the to the game was that um, we were supposed to play on the Wednesday. We went out onto the pitch, and there was a fog. So you you could see the first tier of the San Siro Stadium, but you couldn't see the top tier. All you could see were flares, fires. But the place was full, and when we went out to uh, warm up and that, it was a, it was quite intimidating. So, the the stadium was the great atmosphere in there. We went into the dressing room, then the uh, this fog descended. So the referee came in and said, uh, "We're going to have to call the game off. Uh, we're going to play it tomorrow afternoon at two o'clock," which favoured us. I'm not sure it favoured our supporters, who'd probably have to get back home, but. A lot of the AC Milan uh, supporters would have been at work the following day at uh, 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, so the atmosphere wasn't quite as intimidating the next uh, the next day. What I remember of the goal was uh, the, ball, the ball came to me sort of on the right side of our box, 18-yard uh, box. I just ran with it 
and typical of Italian defenders, they all just retreated, retreated uh, back to their, almost to their 18-yard box. And of course, I cut across him onto my left, uh, onto my left foot, and then I, I curled this uh, ball in from the right side of the box and into the goal. The goalkeeper, I think, was a fella called Albertozzi. I, I might be wrong, it was, uh, but in future years, he was prosecuted for taking bribes. Well, I think he took a bloody bribe. I think he took a bribe that night oh, when gosh. I should, because I could have saved that shot that I did, like, you know. But anyway, they all count. I'm maybe, I'm maybe playing it down. But that was another one. You know, if you don't buy a raffle ticket, it's you don't true. buy a prize. And uh, I always think about kiddo whenever, whenever I see some of those goals. And what about your goal against City when you went to Everton? That must be weird. Did you celebrate? Uh, no, I didn't. And uh, but I got, I got telling off by Howard Kendall at the end of the game he said he said when you score for uh, Everton you celebrate even though I'd, I'd had a great season for him and he, but I mean he he meant it but because he he was a big Evertonian having played for them managed them and uh, and knowing what it meant to the supporters but from my point of view City was struggling that year against relegation uh, we were going for promotion Obviously, I was delighted to score the goal because it won us three points and contributed towards us winning the league. And also, I had friends on the pitch that I'd played with the season before, Mick McCarthy and, and Neil McNabb, uh, Kenny Clements, you know, that I couldn't run around flailing my arms about. I'd have felt as if I was rubbing the noses in it, really. So I just sort of uh, jogged back to the to the halfway line. And yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a good occasion for my teammates, but I didn't want to rub my old teammates' noses in it, really. So you managed to score a goal and get told off by your manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. That could be a first. That was, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you as well about, the. Re you mentioned it a little bit before, the Luton Town, the relegation situation. I've got a lot of my friends who are a little bit older than me who remember that, and they still hate Luton Town uh, to this day. <laughs> was that the uh, low point for your, your a, career? A player that I played against there... It was became manager of Manchester City in Brian later Horton. years, Brian Horton. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, you did. But yeah, it was. Uh, you see, you talk about uh, the mental mm. aspects of, of of playing any game. Pressure is a is a, a fantastic additive to a performance, like whether the performance is good or not. I mean, we'd we'd played the game the week before on the south coast. I think it was either Brighton or Southampton or. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but we, we won that game, which meant that we only had to draw at home to avoid relegation against Luton, who weren't, you know, like top of the league or anything. So we were sort of fancied a little bit, like, you know, but the longer the game went on, it was nil, 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 nil. The longer the game went on, there was always a pressure that something might happen you know, and they they get a, a corner or a penalty, or you know, the, as long as it was nil nil, there was always a fear. That um, plus, I might add, um, the Friday before that game on the Saturday, I got a phone call from uh, Kevin Bond, uh, and he said, uh, and I won't mention the player because it's a bit unfair, and I'm not sure it's uh, it's common knowledge, but uh, one of our players, he said. Did his wife stay at your house last night? Because, because his wife was friendly with mine, and uh, I said no, she wasn't here last night. Like so, he said, uh, right, okay. And 
So, so this particular player, his wife was having an affair. He might as well not have been on the pitch against Luton that day, like you know. So because his head was somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 all those sort of issues, things, yeah. people don't see that. Yeah. You know, the ordinary supporter doesn't see that. But uh, that affected our performance as a team. Without making excuses, um, we got through to about the last four minutes. I think it was four or five minutes from the end when Luton scored. And it was a deflected goal. So, you know, everything went against us that day. You can feel the nervousness from the crowd, you know. Mm. It You'll generate, know all about that. Generates into the into the team. You feel it as a player, don't oh, you? Yeah. You do. You've said you that. do. Yeah. Yeah. But you, like to put it into today, like the City fans will feel this between in the last month of the season, even though the team's been magnificent to this point. If it's the longer it stays nil nil, the more you can sense the anxiety in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Even though you've got some of the best players in the world who are likely to go and win the game. Yeah, yeah. They're still just like really anxious and nervous. Yeah, yeah you can just feel that nervous energy because that that one goal, as you said, changes everything. Yeah, yeah. It? there's a, a different type of energy as well. There's a there's a nervous energy which comes from fighting against something. So it's a negative yeah, yeah. Uh, reaction. So we were fighting against relegation. So then you get a nervousness that comes uh, to avoid the negative result of the game. Yeah. When we played Charlton, uh, sort of two years later, to get promotion, you know, we'd uh, we were we were flying really, and uh, you know, we'd we'd uh, we had games left. It wasn't um, there, there was it, it was to gain something positive. So the energy was positive then. And uh, and the approach to the game was totally different. And so then one's I think fear, one's excitement, almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Jim yeah. Mel, we scored, we scored, scored early on in the game. I think Andy May got a, got a goal that day as well. So we were two or three nil up. And then you can settle down and you can relax and play your football. You know what I mean? It's a, a totally different type of pressure altogether. Uh, so we've got some questions we ask every guest. So I want to just quickly run through those. If you can change one rule on football, what would it be? Nick, I'm going to start with you on that one. Yeah, no, it's got to be this lines assistant referee not putting the flag up straight away. I get it. If it's tight, let it run on. But it, there's some that are really obvious, aren't they? Just put your flag up. Is that me being like a bit old school? Or no, it? I think it's quite annoying as a spectator. You have a different opinion Listen, on this. You don't want to be angry people shout at the clouds up in the sky that's fine you do that yeah I've brought this up before and Nadem does this great I think as a spectator I find it yeah it can annoying. be quite frustrating until you look back at replay and sometimes it's close and then sometimes it's close to the point where somebody's on and then it's like well okay that could have, have been no a problem with it when it's tight yeah there are some real obvious ones where they just yeah I know what you mean but then I think the argument that some people would put out there is that somebody will get injured from if they keep on playing carries on but through all the time when I've heard that argument I've yet to see someone get injured whilst they've carried on playing that is true so it's well, something that exists in our mind but it's not actually there as a defender then yeah are you in favour of the line drawing uh, offside thing with with VAR you know because it, it can be you can be uh, very close inch. yeah it can be an inch uh, yeah for me so when I interestingly when I was in the MLS they didn't have the lines but they did have but they did have the video assistant referee so they'd look back as a, at a freeze frame and make a decision based on how you see it. Yeah. And that always felt better to me because there are times where, yeah, there are times when you look at something and think it's offside and times where like 
you know, if as a defender, even if someone's kneecap appears to be offside, if I was to look at the video, it probably wouldn't look offside. Yeah. So I wouldn't leave the game and be complaining that somebody's offside. Yeah. Whereas yeah. there's some way it feels more offside. So as a consequence, that See, John Stones think, one think, the other day yeah. against Arsenal, everyone thought he's offside there. Yeah. They drew the lines. We were like, oh, yeah, exactly. have that. But I think if 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 the striker's feet are behind the defender's yeah. feet. You, because you You're can be offside go, yeah. if your top body's offside. Yeah. Now you know I'm I'm not sure about that because your natural yeah. lean is it's towards the goal, the goal yeah. isn't it? And, I uh, agree with that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you should be your feet. You think? I think where so. it's measured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes if, sense. If, if if your feet are behind the defender's feet, then you're onside. Like you know what I mean? But but I mean my my uh, change of a rule might be, I think five substitutes or even more. You know, uh, it's too it's much. Too many. Okay. And nobody, nobody ever uses five substitutes in a game, but the only reason they do is to kill time. And I think it takes away from the spectators. You know, they'll make uh, loads of substitutions if they're winning 1-0. And uh, slow you know, the game down a bit. Yeah. And they're meant to add on time for every sub, but I'm, I'm not sure wow. they do yeah. it. Come do on, they? everyone grumbles about how little stoppage time there is at the end of a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless... Unless you happen to be winning, it's like it's too much. You yeah. know what I mean? That's the thing. It's, very, it's a very emotional board going on. I fall it. into that trap. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. What was the last kind of book, series, podcast, music, whatever, that you kind of binged or, or really got into and enjoyed? Susan and I aren't really, we're not really into the sort of I binging. I can even of... switch your television on, by <laughs> no, the way. I know, yeah. We need to work at that. But uh, lockdown took us to Suits. We We hit Suits, all nine series of it. In about three months, we did it in, and then we got you onto it, didn't we? No, no, we we got oh, it you the other way around. It? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow, yeah. Oh, we yeah. Oh, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? So they can't turn the TV <laughs> on, but it puts you onto something. So, what about you? What's the last thing that you kind of? Really... Oh, we're we're right in the middle of a, a series called The Good Doctor. Okay. Uh, which is, it's not a laugh a minute. I've got to say, you know, but it's all about relationships. I I, I get quite fascinated by relationships, you know, uh, and. Uh, how they can um, put a twist on on things. So the good doctor is uh, definitely uh, uh, worth a watch. And then we also ask you to leave a question for our next guest. But before we do that, Paul, I'm going to ask you the question that was left for you by Steph, our city women's captain. She said, "What attribute does every player need to be successful?" Oh well, I think we've discussed uh, we've discussed this already, and uh, my my answer would be uh, mental toughness. Mental toughness is, you know, when the chips are down, but you're mentally strong, you'll you'll override uh, any problems that come your way. You know, if you're not quite as strong, you you know they'll trip you up. Uh, also, you know, playing at places like Anfield, uh, where the crowd will be. Uh, Having a go at you, laughing almost. You could hear them laughing, you know. Uh, so you uh, like I used to play against Tommy Smith, and and Tommy Smith would be making gestures behind my back as I'm running back, and you'd hear the the uh, the, the supporters laughing, and you sort of turn around. It, you know, they try to intimidate you, and uh, you know if you're not if you're not mentally tough and you fold, then uh, I, I would say definitely that for any professional sportsman, not just a footballer. And then what question would you like to leave for our next guest? We can get two questions here. We can get two. two. So we can yeah, get two. Each, so yeah. Nick, do you, do you want to leave yours first? Yeah, I was very lucky because things didn't work out for me football. I got a French degree, lived in France, so I got the opportunity to travel quite a bit. So I would like to know where the best 
place, best country, best place that they've visited in the world? Thank you for a non-football question to leave behind because we've wanted one of those. What about you, Paul? What would you ask our next guest? I would... So it's, it's again, maybe not sports-related. It might be or it might not be. Is there any decision you've made during your career or during your life that you wish you'd have made differently at the end of your career? Fantastic. You know, I mean... uh, you know, something just w- some whatever. juncture in life where they wish maybe taken a different, yeah, yeah. different and, decision. And their lives may have, might have taken a different role as a result. You know, brilliant. Well, Nick Power, Paul Power, thank you so much for joining us on the official Manchester City podcast. We really appreciate it. It's been Thanks a pleasure. I'll shake hands with my son. The official Manchester City podcast with Rob Pollard and Nader Manua. There we have it, Nick and Paul Power in conversation on the official Manchester City podcast. Nadem, what did you make of that? No, it was, it was great. I think there were so many times we were listening to stories. It's like Paul's vivid memory of things that such a long time ago was incredible. The level of emotion that he has as well when talking about the past. And then with Nick as well, seeing the importance of his father, but then explaining his role with this football club as well. And, you know, through all that, the biggest thing for me, Nick Power's older than you and you look older than him. He is looking very well for his age, in fairness. Or is it you that's looking... But yeah, it could it could be the latter, Both things actually. could be true, actually. Both things could be true. But yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that. How about you? Definite emotion between the two of them, isn't it? You can tell that he's proud of his dad yeah. and he's proud of his son, which I thought was lovely. And uh, yeah, there was some emotion in there as well, which I'm not sure I expected it to, to get like that. But again, it's nice to see, you know, these things are important to people, aren't they? Yeah, and that's the thing about this podcast. You know, when people want to come and sit down, you want them to feel relaxed enough to be able to open up and show emotion, whether it's the highs, the lows, because that makes for the better story itself. I think sometimes within football, you get very closed up as soon as there's a microphone in your face. But I think that's one of the beauties that we have with this. I'm sure the listeners would agree that, you know, when people sit down, they're very open. They're very honest, and as a consequence, you get a true depiction of who they are, as opposed to the general one that comes from elsewhere. Absolutely. I'm getting emotional now. I'll relax you. So there we go. That's it. The latest episode of the Man City podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you do your podcast listening. And as always, I want to do a little plug for the official Manchester City app. Make sure you download that. That's the best place to get all the latest news, video, and information regarding Manchester City so thank you very much for joining us once again join us again next time until then take care the official Manchester City podcast subscribe and follow now so you never miss an episode